Bibles, would you turn with me please to John's Gospel and chapter 8. John's Gospel and chapter 8. Tonight I want to speak to you from just one verse, verse 12. But I think um, we'll put the verse in its context by starting at verse 1 and reading down, uh, even though I won't really be commenting on these verses. This is such a beautiful story and uh, one that comforts me so much. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they had... When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in her midst, in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And here's our verse tonight. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you'd gone to uh, the land of Egypt in the days of the Lord Jesus, and I think this is something the Lord Jesus himself would have seen when he was a little boy there in Egypt, you would have seen the famous lighthouse called the Pharaoh's Lighthouse. And this was built around 240 BC, and it was one of the original seven wonders of the world. It was a remarkable lighthouse that was built on an island, and that is just a a, a graphic image, it's not a photograph, of course. And it was built on an island, and uh, it was built in three tiers up, and it was reckoned to be 600 feet tall. And at the top, it had uh, a beacon that burnt fuel at night. And in the day, it had a massive mirror, which gave light and reflected sunlight out so that the people out at sea could find their way into the harbour there at Alexandria. And it was a a literal lifesaver for people having this light 
to be able to navigate their way in uh, by. In 1994, I think it was, archaeologists, marine archaeologists, found what they believe are the remains of this lighthouse down after it was, uh, it had been destroyed in an earthquake, I think in the 14th century, and it was in the ocean, and they're still doing archaeology, bringing up remains from uh, the uh, uh, from the harbour area of old Alexandria, and uh, they found these remains, which is remarkable. And uh, it will give more light <laughs> upon, on uh, this great matter. Uh, but the lighthouse itself has an interesting story as well as being an interesting thing. Uh, it was commissioned by Ptolemy I, who asked for it to be built or commanded it to be built. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, you know about the Ptolemies. They were the Greek kings who were uh, ruled over Israel as well after Alexander the Great. And Ptolemy I commanded it to be built and it was built, uh, started off in his day, and it was finished in the days of his son, Ptolemy II. And Sostratus was the architect who was employed to build this. And they commanded that engraved in this massive lighthouse, which was unique in the world at that time, be their name, Ptolemy, which it was put on in beautiful plaster. But as the years went by, the plaster faded away, and, and with the seawater and everything, and underneath engraved, was the name of the architect, Sostratus. And uh, it bore his name in the end. And he's the one who said, look, I'm the one who's really responsible for this thing. And you know, in a way, that's a little bit like what the Lord Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8, verse 12. You see, in John chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he said this at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. If you were to read back in chapter 7, back in the beginning of chapter 7, you'll see Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, John's Gospel focuses very much, not on Jesus' Galilean ministry, but on his ministry in Jerusalem. And it's at this feast that Jesus said, I am the living water on one day, and then on the next day, he said, I am the light of the world. And he was saying, I am the true light. You see, at this feast, they would uh, have huge, great candlesticks erected in the courtyard of the temple. Massive oil lampstands. And uh, the younger priests would carry up barrels of oil and pour the oil into these four great candelabras that stood in the court. And at night time, they would light them. And I wouldn't like to be the one to have to light it because I think that'd be quite scary. But it would burn all night. And they said that it would gave off so much light that every courtyard in Jerusalem had light falling in it as a result of it. It was a, a remarkable thing. Well, the Lord Jesus is saying at this feast, I am the light of the world. And he's saying, you know, this is, uh, uh, it's, it's not really this business, it's me. I am the light of the world. And it was a, a remarkable thing because this is something which the Bible attributed to the Lord in the Old Testament. You know, uh, it's 
in, in the book of Isaiah again, sorry, I keep coming back to Isaiah, well, I'm not sorry, but uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 17, God said he would be the light of Israel. So the light of Israel will be for a fire, and he was talking about himself. And in Isaiah 42, verse 6, he said when he was talking about that covenant of redemption we talked about recently, uh, he said, God the Father said to God the Son, I, the Lord, have called you as a light to the Gentiles. And you see both parts of humanity there from a Jewish perspective, a light for Israel, a light for the Gentiles. And the Lord Jesus brings the two together and says, I am the light of the world. And he says, it's me. And uh, this is what it is about. And this is one of the great statements of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his great I am statements. John's Gospel has seven I am statements. And we could go through these. In fact, uh, Dave Beezer pointed out to me once that if you look at these, they are actually a symmetry. The first one is I am the bread of life. The last one is I am the vine. That's the bread and the wine, isn't it? Uh, then you have, I am the light of the world. And the next one after the, the bread and the, after the vine coming backwards is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, you need the light to go in the way. And then you have the, the resurrection and the life, and you have the door. And the door, Jesus says, I'm the door. You know, you'll enter through me into heaven. And uh, so those two are to do with heaven. And in the middle, you have the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Wonderful thing. Thank you, Dave, for that. That's a real blessing. But it's the second I am statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's one that reveals to us about who he is and what he can do for us. And it reveals this precious and important thing, the light of the world. And tonight I just want to deal with this because, you know, in my life, I've, I've hit on something that is really important to me. I want to study and master the texts I'm going to rely on on my deathbed if the Lord doesn't come in my lifetime. And there's wonderful Bible parts. I, I study it all. I want to know it all. I want to know every corner. But I want to have a strong grip on those things that are going to give me a grip at the end. And I know that's the Lord Jesus and I know it's the gospel. So I'm keen to study these little texts. And it may just be one verse tonight, but I pray we'll get a real grip on it because this is eternal life to know him whom the Father has sent. So I want you to see these three things tonight. The source of light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The supply of light, Jesus said, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. And the satisfaction of the light, uh, because Jesus said, whoever walks uh, follows me will have the light of life those three things first of all the source of light jesus said i am the light of the world and as i said already he is claiming here to fulfill the old testament prophecies in fact psalm 27 which we read earlier on opens with this word the lord is my light and my salvation And the Lord Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the light of the world. And when he says, I am at the beginning, make no mistake about it, that's a divine title. If you go to the other end of of, of this chapter, chapter 8, and down in verse 58, we read, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you remember that was the name God gave Moses to call uh, him by. 
And the Jews understood what he was saying because in verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. So they understood by picking up stones that he was making a divine title and they didn't like that. But Jesus is saying, I am the source of this light. I am God who is uh, the light. And this is actually what the New Testament says as well. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Someone has pointed out that light is a picture of God, if you think about it. Light is invisible. We can't see God, can we? We, we can't see light. We see by the benefits of light, but we don't see light itself. It's an invisible thing, but we see by it. And God is invisible, uh, even though he is really there. Uh, light can be broken down. You shine light through a prism and uh, you break down the, the spectrum uh, of the ray into different, into multiple layers. And that's true with God, isn't it? We have one God, but there's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, light is the source of power. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that we have uh, in this world. We have power. We, when we're all into solar panels now, aren't we? And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens well, I don't want to jump my sermon here, but uh, when, if we lose the light. <laughs> but light is the source of power, and uh, God is powerful. And then, of course, light is a symbol of what's good and true and right, isn't it? When we're talking about being in the light and not in the darkness, if we say someone, he walks in the darkness, we know they're talking about something negative. And God is good, God is right. So light itself is a picture of God. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's him. Now, this means he is the light of the world in three senses. It means he is the physical light. He's the one who gives us the physical light. Back in Genesis chapter 1, and I know lots of you already know this, but I'll repeat it just because it's true. But back in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, what did he make on the first day of creation? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And yet here's a fascinating thing. It wasn't until the fourth day of creation that God made the sun. So where was the light coming from? It was coming from God himself. He is the source of light. Jesus is the light of the world in that sense. He's also the historical light. You see, I told you that the children of Israel had this feast of tabernacles. That feast was to remember their wilderness journey when they came out of Egypt and how they came through the wilderness and for 40 years God provided for them and protected them. And the reason for the great big candlesticks was to remind them of the fiery, cloudy pillar that led them through the darkness of the night and the cloud that gave them the cover by day to lead them. And uh, you read about that in Exodus 13, 21 and, and Numbers 9 and Nehemiah 9, 13. It was one of the great miracles. There was this fiery, cloudy pillar and it led them. And Jesus says, I am that light. In fact, uh, one preacher I read said that that Shekinah cloud was a picture of the Lord Jesus. When it was the cloud in the daytime, in the, in the white, it, it, you didn't see the fire. You just saw the cloud, uh, like the cumulus clouds in the sky. That's like Christ's humanity. You looked at Christ, you'd see a normal man. And these looked like normal clouds, though they were there. It was a pillar of cloud. Yet at night, you saw the fire of God. 
And that's like his deity. It's the two, two aspects of his character in one. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he was the one who led. And that's why later on he says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. But also he's the source of spiritual light as well. He was not only the light that led them in the wilderness, and he literally was that light, by the way, I should say that, because he was the angel that accompanied them, as Moses talked about. But he, was also, he is also our spiritual light. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, we're told that, uh, that God gives light to our eyes spiritually when we come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he enlightens us in salvation terms. It says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What that means basically is when you become a Christian, you receive spiritual light and you can see the truth about God and you see it through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. So this is a tremendous claim that Christ is making. I came across a bizarre story. This this old lady uh, was collecting her pension in Turkey. And uh, in 2000... In 2003, uh, this uh, uh, old lady was found out actually to be a man. And it was a man in disguise as his mother who had died long ago and he was still claiming her pension. And uh, he claimed to be someone he wasn't. Now you think about that. How easy it is to claim something you're not. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he says, I'm the physical light. I'm the one who created the physical light in Genesis. I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who led the nation through the wilderness. I'm the light of the world who can give you spiritual light. Anybody can stand. I could stand here and say that tonight. How do we know it's true? Well, John's gospel tells us how. Because in the next chapter, Jesus does a miracle and he heals a blind man. And he gives literal eyesight, light to the eyes, so that that man can see. Jesus' miracles were those that testified of him, so we can know to put our trust in him. And I want to say this tonight. You can't see that miracle Jesus did, but you can prove it to yourself by asking Christ to be your saviour and your Lord. And when he comes into your life, you will receive his spiritual light. It's one of the things I love about Christianity. It is testable. It's testable. You can't do that with any other religion. There's no test you can do to prove it's true, but you can with Christianity. You can test it by asking the Lord into your life and he will come in. Second thing we see here is the supply of light in what Jesus said. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. You know, back in Isaiah, again, Isaiah chapter 9, we have one of the amazing prophecies that was fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah spoke about the northern part of Israel up in Galilee, which was where the people were the most fearful in the land of Israel. And I tell you why. Because every time an enemy nation came and attacked Israel, they always came from the north down. 
And so these people were the first one to get the brunt of any invasion. And they came off worst in it. And so Galilee of the Gentiles, as it became known, was a fearful place to live. And the people there were said to live in darkness. They had the fear of death upon them. But Isaiah said this, Upon the people who are sitting in darkness, a light has dawned. And what was he talking about? Well, he goes on and he talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which we celebrate at Christmas. And he talks about uh, the fact that the wonderful counselor, the the mighty God, was going to be born uh, unto us. A child is given unto us. uh, Unto us a son. A child is given unto us. A son is born. Got my words muddled. But you know what the prophecy is. And Matthew points to that prophecy. And he says this was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. He came and he brought light to people. And the supply of light came. And this is what Jesus is testifying to about himself here. He says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. As, as Charles Wesley said in his hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And it's absolutely true. When you come to know Christ, you have the supply of spiritual light that changes your life. Your life becomes floodlit. Now, I want you to study this and know this, all right? These are important words, so let's scrutinize them. Let's notice the condition Christ gives. He says, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the condition is that we follow him. This isn't just light that's given to everybody uh, in a blanket way across humanity. It is only for those who follow him. And to follow him is to become a Christian. You know, the world calls us to follow all sorts of different people. It's interesting to me when you think of all the social media, people talk about following so on, isn't it? And that's become a, a modern phrase today. I came across this cartoon, a Garfield cartoon. John is saying to his cat, Garfield, you should follow me everywhere I go, Garfield, and then falls off the edge of a cliff. And Garfield says, I don't know about everywhere, or I don't know about always following you. Well, we could say the same to the people in the world. But when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a safe thing to do. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, where are you going to end up? He's gone to heaven. If you follow him, you'll go into heaven. And I'm happy for that. (laughs) I'm going to follow him all the way there. And isn't it a wonderful thing to think about? You know, you follow most people, you get a shadow falling back. But Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll get the light of life. But then think about the continuation of that. Because Jesus said, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. And that word walk is a very key word. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 5 is where the prophet said, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Jesus is using that word, I believe. Let's walk. And you realize in the New Testament, this is the first time the Christian life is described as a walk. It comes many times in the epistles where Paul says, walk worthy of the Lord. But this is the first time and it's described in the life in the words of the Lord Jesus. And he said, you start following me and you walk with me. And you know, that's what the Christian life is. It is a walk. And how do you walk? Step by step by step by step. 
And this is how we go on with the Lord. We take the first step, we put our faith in Christ, and then we go on with him, walking with him, walking in his light, walking in his truth, in the truth of his word. I did think about taking you to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 to 44 and you could perhaps look those verses up later on uh, if you want to follow on more of what Paul says about walking in the light. But this is the continuation of the Christian life. We begin and we walk closely. And you know what? We should stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible to follow Jesus at a distance. Peter did that. And we know how badly that went. Peter followed the Lord Jesus after Gethsemane at a distance. He was still following the Lord. And many people say, well, you know, I'm still a Christian. I I still read my Bible sometimes. But they're following at a distance. That's a dangerous place. We need to follow hard on the Lord's heels and walk with him as we go through life. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. But then I want you to see as well the comfort. Because he says... The comfort this gives is in the fact that he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Now, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing, to not walk in darkness. Someone has said, uh, due to budget cuts, the light at the end of the tunnel has been switched off. (laughs) And it does feel like that sometimes in the world at the moment, doesn't it? We were talking at the meal table even today about the things that are going on in the world uh, and how many things look dark and dangerous. And you know, this verse has become such a comfort to me when I've been thinking a lot about uh, what the Bible says about the future and even just looking, even if I didn't believe what the Bible said about the future, I was looking at, you know, the prices of everything going up and, and you think, how are we going to cope with the future? And look at the state of the world, the war in, in, in Ukraine, the, the, the war in, in Sudan, and then we've got so many other problems coming. How are we going to cope? Do you know what? This verse has given me so much comfort. Because Jesus said, if you just walk with me, you'll walk in the light, not in the darkness. The world may be a very dark place, but as long as we stay with Christ, we're going to walk in the light. What a comfort that is. It's very interesting, you know, in John chapter 18, when the Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember they came to arrest him? And uh, Judas led the band of men from, from the, uh, uh, the temple and the priests. It said they came with clubs and swords. And it says they came with torches and with lanterns. You ever notice that? But isn't it interesting We're not told when Jesus and his disciples went out, they took torches and lanterns. You know the difference John is highlighting between those two groups? One group has the light of the world, the other has an artificial light. And that's the choice you have between the true light and the artificial light. I choose the true light, he gives me comfort. Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12, David said this, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the light, night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And this is a, a, a wonderful thing to take to heart. You know what? If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you will walk in darkness. And I want you to know, one day, this world is going to literally walk in darkness because of rejecting Christ. 
I love to study prophecy and I love to study the book of Revelation. And one of the things I've noticed is that there is a correlation between John's gospel and the book of Revelation. And you can go through the chapters of John and you can see how they compare to each other. Let me just take you through a few of these chapters. For instance, chapter 1, we start off with Jesus in John chapter 1 as the light. There's seven lights. Seven times uh, the light is mentioned in John chapter 1. And Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. You know what? In Revelation chapter 1, you have the seven lampstands and Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the letters, the Greek letters of the Word. In chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding and uh, Jesus casts out of the temple. Those are the two main stories in John chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addresses a, a false woman in the church called Jezebel, who's an adulteress, and he casts people out of the church for their sin. And then in chapter 3, we're told Jesus of John's gospel, Jesus says you, to Nicodemus, you've got to be born of the Spirit. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying. Listen to the Spirit if you're a Christian. Chapter 4, Jesus talks about true worship with the woman at Samaria. He says, the time will come when you won't worship at this temple anymore, but you'll worship God in spirit and in truth. You'll be able to worship God anywhere. Chapter 4 of Revelation, we have true heavenly worship around the throne. Revelation chapter 5, we have the authority of the Lord Jesus asserted that he is the one who the Father has given authority to judge. In Revelation chapter 5, we're told he is the one who has the authority to open the the seals on the scroll. Chapter 6, this is interesting. Chapter 6 of John's Gospel, Judas is revealed. In chapter 6 of Revelation, Antichrist is revealed. And what's interesting is that is, that also happens in chapter 13 of both books as well. That's not a coincidence. In chapter 6 of John's Gospel, Jesus is called the bread of life. And he does the miracle of feeding the people the bread. Revelation, when it speaks of the judgment on a world that rejects Christ, Revelation 6 speaks of a worldwide famine that is coming. You reject the bread, you're going to have a famine. That's basically what it is. Chapter 7 of John's Gospel, as I said, we have the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, they wave palm branches. That's what they were doing when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, because they were proclaiming him as the king. And they were remembering uh, what, or they they were... Uh, really celebrating uh, tabernacles at at, at Passover. They were getting their feasts uh, muddled. But in Revelation chapter 7, we see the people in heaven waving palm branches like the Feast of Tabernacles. Interestingly, both those chapters, Christ says he is the living water. Isn't that amazing? Right now, chapter 8. In chapter 8, we have the account of the woman caught in adultery. Then Jesus says he's the light of the world. And at the end of that chapter, as we read, they pick up stones to stone him. In Revelation chapter 8, we read about the bitter waters, wormwood. And the pollutes, the, the star that comes down makes the water bitter. And everybody has to drink bitter water. You say, what's the connection there? That was the judgment on an adulterous woman in Numbers chapter 5 in the law of Moses. Then you have uh, the darkness that comes over all the world as God turns out the sun and the stars. 
And that's what we're talking about here, the light and the darkness. And God says, if you don't walk in the light, you'll have darkness. And you also, where you have the stones, we're told in that chapter, you have the meteors as well. It's a fascinating study to compare those things. You go on, there's a lot of very obvious ones. Chapter 19, you have Christ crowned with a crown of thorns in John's Gospel, crowned with many crowns in Revelation. So it's a fascinating thing. John is saying, you know, if you walk with Christ, you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. What a comfort that is to have the supply of light. I want you to think about this, how it is in in reality. This man is one of my favorite preachers from the past. His name is Dr. Stephen Alford. um, And I had the privilege of meeting him on one occasion. In one of his books, he tells this story. He said, let me recount a terrifying occasion when I was hopelessly lost after dark in the long grass of Central Africa. Stephen Alford had been brought up on the mission field as a boy. His parents were missionaries. And uh, he was a young man out there uh, as well. He said, I had gone out to shoot meat for the native carriers. And in the course of the hunt... I forgot about time and direction. Groping around in circles in the near darkness, I could make out the forms of two hunting leopards prowling around me. Visibility was too poor for me to shoot. And in any case, there were two leopards. Only one way was open, that of prayer. Having asked God for protection and guidance, I cupped my hands and began to call for help. My voice seemed to be strengthened by a supernatural power. Presently, I had the answer to my prayers, for two headlights of our Ford truck came sweeping across the plain. Instantly, the leopards scattered, and in the straight beams of light, I was guided back to camp. What a testimony that is. What an amazing answer. But you know what? He got the light by praying. And if you want the supply of light in your life, if you want Jesus to come and give you this light so that you can have the light of life, and believe me, you're going to need it, then pray. Ask him, Lord, save me. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. I want your light. And Jesus will shine his light in your heart. Let's see the final thing here in the words of the Lord Jesus. He talks about the satisfaction of the light because he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but in these words, the Lord Jesus doesn't say, whoever follows me will see the light of life. But what he says is they will have it. They will actually possess it. Amazing things are happening in science. One of the things they have discovered is that they can give the, the genes of a luminous jellyfish to mice. And it makes the mice light up in the dark. And when the mice are in a certain condition, it, 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 it lights up. You say, what good is that? Well, they're hoping that helping by injecting into certain cells, it will help them discover cancer uh, and deal with it and things like that. But the point I want to draw from that is this. That, that, That mouse doesn't just follow the light. It has the light. 
has the light. And that's what a Christian is. It doesn't just follow Jesus' light. It has Jesus' light. And this is what the Lord says. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Christ will be in us. So his light will be in us. That's, that means we'll have a quality of light. A quality of light. It's the light of life. I don't know if you thought about this, but in those I am's that the Lord Jesus gave, many of the things were described as living. I, I am the bread of life. I will give him living water. Life. I am the resurrection and the life. Well, Jesus says, I will give you the light of life. It's a quality of life. It's a quality that has Godness in it. And Peter says we become divine, we're partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And 2 Peter chapter 1, we become partakers of the divine nature. What a privilege it is to be a Christian. We have a quantity of light as well. Because it's the light of life in the sense of it lasts the duration of life. When you become a Christian, it will come to you and it will stay with you. And it will stay with you till the end. And I'm very glad. Because you remember what David said was at the end of the life? In Psalm 23, is the valley of the shadow of death. And when I've got to go through that valley of the shadow of death, praise God, I've got the light of the world to go through it with. And I need not fear afraid of the dark when I have the shadow with him, uh, when I have the light with me and uh, have his light in me. What a quantity of light to last all of life. But it's also a quickening light. A light of life is a light that has a power to it and and brings out uh, a quality and a joy to it. We have a light of life. And as I was saying earlier, with all the difficult things going on in the world, it's easy to become overwhelmed and heavy. But when we have the light of life, we have the joy of knowing Christ in us. And the quickening of God in our souls strengthens us so that we are walking with him and strengthened in our relationship with him. I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. Because do you know what? Tomorrow's Monday morning. And I've got to get up and face the world again, serve you. But I can do it because I've got the light of life. I've got the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you've got the light, then what we need to do is we need to shine it to others. Matthew 5 verse 14. The Lord Jesus said a remarkable thing to the disciples. He said, you are the light of the world. Now they could have said, well hang on a minute Lord, you got that wrong. John 8 you said, I am the light of the world. But Jesus actually takes this and he applies it to us. He says, you are the light of the world. And he said, when you live out the Christian life, you're showing people the way to God. Philippians 2.15 tells us that we are to shine our light before men and uh, uh, hold out the word of light to them. This is what it means to be a Christian. A little child was sat in church one day and somebody asked the question, what is a saint? And she looked up at the stained glass windows and she said, someone the light shines through. And that's what we should be as Christians. The light of Jesus should be shining through us. So if you've not yet come to Christ, I urge you to do so. Have the light of life. 
This is a remarkable testimony I came across uh, from our connection with Sasra. When we were in our first church, we were on the edge of an army garrison. And every year, the Sasra organization have what's called R-Day, uh, letter R, like regiment. And it's uh, basically where they come together and their people give testimonies. And they held uh, a local R-Day at Arbor Field. And I went along, it was, I was invited to go to the past. And I've got to be honest with you, I wasn't really excited to do that on a Saturday. And, and it was quite a hot day as well. So I was really feeling a bit peeved to be about sat in church rather than, you know, in the garden working. Uh, but uh, it, anyway, it was a blessing to be there. And they had a load of Gurkhas, which are like the SAS. <laughs> They're like the top soldiers. And uh, they had a load of Gurkhas who were Christians giving their testimonies. And uh, this gentleman, uh, retired W.O. 2 Lalit Bahadur Garong, that's how you say his name. He's Nepalese. And uh, he was in the Gurkhas back in the 1980s. And when he was doing his intensive training in Hong Kong, he got a letter from his parents back home saying they had become Christians. Uh, he was absolutely horrified. They had been raised Hindus. Our Hindu gods are the ones we serve. And he, he was so upset, he didn't answer the letter for three years. His mum and dad had said to him, find a Bible and read it and start seeking the Lord. It's real. Well, he was upset. He went back home to his village after three years and he went back uh, to see his family. And he even went along with them to church one day. And he was struck to the core because he looked around the room and he saw people he knew. And he said, I know none of these people had been born a Christian. They were all born Hindus like me. So he said, why were they now worshipping Jesus? And he said, I started asking them one by one, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? And he said, I heard the most wonderful stories about how the Lord had come into their life and changed them. And he said, I knew it was true. And he went to his bedroom and he prayed, Jesus, I do not know who you are. If you are a true God, then please guide me and show me things so I can trust in you. <laughs> and the Lord heard that prayer. And the Lord drew him to himself in saving faith. And he went on as a brave soldier of Christ as well as a soldier in the army. Dear friends, we've, we're trying to tell you about what we've got. And it's the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's real. And you can have him in your life too. If you will ask him to be your Lord and Saviour. If you've not yet done so, come to the Lord Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's sing our, our final hymn this evening, shall we? Come, O fount of every blessing, number 1164.